Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Do you have money sitting in the stock market and you're worried about it? Or worse, you have money sitting at the bank, not keeping up with inflation? My name is Charles Carrillo, founder and managing partner of Harborside Partners. And since 2006, I've been investing my money and my family's money into income-producing properties. These are real assets, real properties with real addresses that produce real cash flow. At Harborside Partners, we provide passive investors who love real estate with a turnkey investing solution. If you want to put your money to work in real estate but can't find deals, don't have the time to get funding, and the last thing that productive people want to do is manage real estate. We find the deals, we fund the deals, and we manage the tenants, the termites, and the properties. Partner with us at investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Go to investwithharborside.com. If you love real estate, you like the idea of passive income, and believe that income-producing properties will appreciate over time, go to investwithharborside.com. That's investwithharborside.com. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Bernie Lease. Bernie began investing in real estate in 2018 with single-family homes, but transitioned into multifamily in 2019. And he's a partner in $12 million of assets and a passive investor in 130 units. So thank you so much for coming on, Bernie. Thanks for having me, Charles. I appreciate it. So give us a little background on yourself, uh, both personally and professionally, prior to getting involved in real estate investing. Yeah, probably a similar story, Charles, as a lot of people. Just, you know, you're working your W-2 job, think about long-term, taking care of your family, putting money in the 401k and retirement, things like that. But I always had this itch to do real estate, but never really took the kind of took that next step for a long, long time. And then, you know, my job was going well here in Boise. I was I got married. I had a beautiful wife and a daughter. And we were kind of going through and we're like, gosh, we want to create some type of like a separate income stream that's outside of our normal work. And just kind of build towards the long term for kids college for you know later on in our lives things like that and real estate seemed like a one that we wanted to try and so we kind of um, pulled some money out of our house on a HELOC and started looking for single family houses in Indiana and that was kind of our first step to doing our you know real estate interesting investing. yeah so why did you what was the main I guess factor because there's a number of different financial vehicles to get you where you want to go with that goal why did you uh, you think you chose real estate over anything else. I think for us is, you know, if, if you look at the long-term success, of a lot of people who are, who have done it for a long time, a lot of them own real estate and use real estate to, to build long-term wealth. Our approach has always been my wife and I, and my, and my partner too, Mike has been like, we're, we're not investing for a two-year timeline. We're investing for 10 to 20 years. Right. And so we thought real estate was a great way to do that. We also like real estate because there's control, right? You can put $50,000 in Amazon stock and you're at the mercy of Jeff Bezos and his team to do their thing. Right. Right. Whereas with real estate, you can kind of put that money in and as a GP or as a, as a lead owner, right, you can sit there and push certain levers to increase value and decrease costs and things like that. And so that was also very attractive to us. And then, uh, you know, a benefit for us too, is just that, that tax benefit that the government always writes in for real estate investing. It's, it's such a beautiful thing, right? Why not take advantage of it if you can't? Yeah, definitely. So tell us about your first, uh, your first investments. You started off in single family. So kind of how did that turn out and uh, how you got started with that? Yeah, we're looking for for houses, you know, living in Boise, Idaho, houses were super expensive here, the market's very hot, and so nothing cash flowed. 
And so I had, uh, in my, in my W2 job, I had been to the Indianapolis, Indiana area, mm -hmm. knew it was a great working class town growing really fast. And uh, there's a lot of single family homes that were in that kind of that price range with comparable rents that really worked well for us on a cash flow basis. So we started doing some networking and we found a group that helped put us in touch with some local people on the ground, both mm -hmm. an agent to help buy who, who was, who specialized in doing out-of-state investments and also from uh, you know third money third party property management group that could kind of take over the asset force and run it on a day to day basis, and that allowed us to really kind of really dig into the the market and start asking questions of these guys and gals of like you know hey here's this neighborhood what do you think and they would go like ooh not good or like it's a great one focus on that and that really helped us kind of refine our search and make it a lot easier because there's hundreds of listings that are coming through and helped to refine us. So long story short, we spent about 30, 45 days looking really hard and closing our first property. And then about 30 days later, found our second property and closed on that. And we held those for almost four years, Charles. Nice. And uh, we exited last summer and they did great. You know, it was mostly a, an appreciation play because we, we invested in a great market, but they both paid off, um, you know, in multiples of dollars uh, for us. So can't complain. It, it was a really good experience. And I feel bad for people who had those bad experiences with out-of-state investing, but ours was never that way, thankfully. Knock on wood. Yeah, I want to talk about that because long-distance investing is uh, is an animal to its own. I mean, you you started, you explained a little bit there. You had an agent that was very familiar with what you're trying to do. You had a property manager, which is, these are very, the most important pieces of the puzzle. But as I read, like, you've never stepped foot in any of your properties. So how were you, tell me about that whole process of, when did you go out there initially and uh, do some... Uh, you know, pick out different neighborhoods and parts of the city that you liked. And then when his stuff came up, you knew it was in that area you took it. Or were you really relying on all of your professionals and like this, this team you had put in place there? The latter. I think maybe yeah. the former would have been the smarter way to do it, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, as you know, in my W2, I, yeah. I have vendors across the US, even across the globe that I've never really met in person, things like that. So I have systems and processes in place to vet people out. And you also use you know validations and recommendations from people who have used them, right? Mm -hmm. That's also a big key for us. And so I think a really you know, a big takeaway for us has been networking well and and not going on to to google and typing in you know third party management groups in indiana yeah. indiana it's, it's actually talking to people who have been in that market and saying like who do you like right who's a good reference uh, who's a good party and you kind of like to will those down and that's the, the kind of the way we came to our conclusion and then just trust the professionals once you vet the person out trust them right they've been doing this for decades there's no reason for me to sit there and try to reinvent the wheel if they say it's a good neighborhood it's a good neighborhood and i i, I go with that recommendation would that would be what you would suggest to anybody that wants to get into uh, out-of-state landlording? Would there be anything different that you did or didn't do that you would suggest to someone else if they said, hey, I want to do kind of what you're doing with single-family houses in a market, you know, thousands of miles away from where I live? I think most of what I did was fine. I think that maybe the, the lesson learned for me was be a little more active in that transition period of once that you have the property closed and that property manager group comes on board. Uh, we kind of let them do their own thing. And what we found really is, is they don't have the same sense of urgency that we did. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we, we get the house closed. We want to do some little cleanup and refreshing and get it going. And they're like, oh, the vendor's three weeks out. And I was like, oh, well, that's a, that's a month payment, right? That, that we're right. out of pocket now, right? And so I think for us, it was more like, you know, get on the same page and make sure they understand your timelines up front <laughs> and they're agreed upon and then kind of move forward versus right. saying like, you're the professionals, do your own thing. I think there could have been a better process on our side to push. 
Yeah, they're very. You can be very cavalier when you don't have to pay that mortgage payment, right? So that's <laughs> your money, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's yeah, that's so true. I, I like that idea too. Is you're being a little bit more hands on with the asset management, and then you're kind of handing over something that's already running to a property manager or something that's ready to be rented out, whatever it might be. Um, and then you can kind of get that going, and you're kind of all set for hopefully another year down the road until uh, that that lease comes up. Why did you transition to multifamily investing in your second year of real estate investing? Because every time I really talk to investors that start it in single family, it always takes them several years to make the change. The same thing with me. I didn't start off as single family, but like small multis. And then it took a few years to get into actual commercial multifamily, you know, small ones. I wanted to go into multifamily right away, Charles. That was my that was my okay. goal. But instead of like going like, well, how do I do this and be creative about it? I go like, well, I, I can't do it, right? That limiting belief of like, mm -hmm. I'm just me. I only have X amount of dollars. There's no way I can buy an apartment building. That was why. And so the compromise for us was let's just buy some multifamily or let's buy some single family houses. The problem with that is after we closed those first two deals, my wife and I looked at our bank account and said like, crap, we're out of money, right? How do we scale this thing, right? And so these are, cash flowing properties, but you know, they're throwing off a couple hundred bucks yeah. per house per month. And you're not going to go out and buy more properties doing that. Right. And so we had to pivot and say, okay, what's the way for us to get to where we want to go faster and to scale this more quickly. And multifamily was the way. And so then it was like, well, how do we change our mindset to then approach that? And how do we solve that problem of getting in multifamily when we can't maybe pull down a large building ourselves? How do we network with other people so that we can do it as a group and do that, that do it that way instead. And that's where you found partners that were on the same similar page to you? Yeah. So my, my partner, Mike, uh, we worked together in our W-2. And yeah, so nice. um, you know, my wife and I were, were kind of crazy, Charles, is that we were, we found out she's pre she was pregnant and we're like, oh, wow. And then the next day we put our house in the market to sell, right? And so you know, our, our idea was that we would sell our primary house because we had some great equity built up into that and use a lot of that as a way to fund our first deal. And so talking to my my buddy, Mike, I'm like, oh, he's like, what's up in your life? I'm like, well, we're selling our house. He's like, why are you doing that? Started talking about multifamily. And he's like, well, tell me more about this. And so, you know, fast forward four weeks. And he's like, this is great. Uh, he's consumed podcasts and books. And he's like, I want to partner on, on this with you. And so we started to work together. Uh, and then from there, it was just like, you know, how do we then, you know, find our markets and get this going to the point that we can kind of pull down our first property? So give us a little overview of your current investment strategy and criteria. Like, what are you guys doing right now? What are you focusing on and what markets? We're focused on the Southeast, Charles. That's kind of our big one. We, we like the migration of the population, mm -hmm. the long-term trends for that. We look at assets that are, I think, are, are less risky, right? We like stable stuff. Um, two of the three properties that we pulled down are less than five years old, right? They're very, fairly new. We don't like really old. We like less than 30 years old. Uh, we don't want to have huge value ads where we're ripping things down to the studs and doing lots of replacing. We want to maybe like we update the paint, maybe some countertops and some flooring. That's about as far as we want to go. And so we know that that limits some of the upside in terms of the turnaround. But because we syndicate these deals and we're using other people's money, including our own to build this, we didn't want to do anything in those first few years that wasn't safe and conservative. And so we would rather under promise and over deliver on our returns and say like, Hey, here's this great unit. We're going to tear it down in three years. It's going to be worth five <laughs> X. We're like, we're going to do some light touch-ups or, or manage this better and yeah. cut the expenses down and push rents to market levels. And then you're going to get really solid returns. And over the course of, you know, our five to seven year hold period, you'll probably see, you know, 15 to 20% annual returns on, on your money. Yeah. 
That's great because you have you're getting um, so you don't really have to deal with too much of the bones of the property as we would say. Really, you're really dealing with some with when you're putting money into those units, you're actually seeing a return on it. It's not like I'm changing a roof and you're not going to raise your rents because you change your roof. No one's no, going to pay you exactly. more because it doesn't it doesn't leak. And so that's yeah. And actually, the money you're investing, you're going to pay a little higher for that. But the money you're investing, you're actually going to get it out in two or three years, whatever it is. And um, that's awesome. That's a great that's a great strategy. One other thing too is I see with People even with older properties now, when you're getting into an area where rents aren't at, increasing as fast, they're kind of, you know, with us, we're doing with some of our properties, we're doing kind of minor value adds on some of our units. And you're just doing a little bit of work here. You're keeping them rent. You're really worried about occupancy because you're not, hey, you know, you put X goes in, it doesn't, you don't get five X out or whatever it is. You know what I mean? That's right. And um, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's not really discussed as much, but it's a great strategy. We've been pretty fortunate, right? And you know, we we passed a lot of deals, like you know, the 1960s, you know, just mm. and they're they and the brokers always like, oh yeah, yeah, just put you know five thousand dollars per <laughs> unit, you can increase rents by five hundred bucks a month. And it's like, maybe, yeah. <laughs> right? But I don't have unicorns and rainbows outside my window either, right? And I'd like that as well. So I think those are the things, right? That we've been very cautious. And again, it goes back to if it was my own money and I'm just throwing it at something, I'm I'm willing to take you know a couple of years of hardship to maybe get it up. But when you're dealing with other people's yeah. money, it's I, we want those stable things. And for our investor avatar, you know, our kind of our, our normal investor is they're not looking to get rich overnight and they're not looking to retire off this money, but they want those stable returns that slowly build over the long term because that's how they're thinking as well. And so we want to yeah. make sure that the assets that we do purchase match those values of our investors as well. Oh, that's awesome. So let's talk about that with other investors. I mean, your first year syndications, you raised uh, over $3 million and over 500000 for your first deal, which is definitely higher than most syndicators in their first year or their first deal. So can you tell us how you did that um, with having, I guess, a track record at that point of maybe just a year or two of investing in single family and then going right into, let's say, larger multifamilies? Yeah, I think the biggest key for me was was my partner, Mike, right? He's, he was well-networked. He had a good network of people and a good background. But I think the other thing for us is that when Mike and I decided to do this, Charles, it was 2019. We didn't pull down our first deal until February of 2021. And so in the meantime, while we were looking for deals, as, as we were talking to people, we kind of identified who our, our investor would be, like-minded. And as we talked to our friends and people on our network, we would start to say like, yeah, we're looking for real estate. And here's kind of what our criteria. And people go like, oh, real estate, tell me more, yeah. right? And that would the people we kind of bring into our network. And we just kind of keep talking to them on a regular basis throughout the year. So that by the time we finally got to our first deal, they didn't say like, oh, who are you guys doing? Why are you doing this? A lot of them were like, oh yeah, we've been talking about this for upwards of you know, a year and right. a half sometimes, right? Tell me more. And that that allowed us, I think, a little bit of an easier transition in that first deal because you know, raising $600,000 in the first deal, that was a big, that was a big, like scary moment for us when we sign those papers, yeah. right? So it was nice to have that. And, and that just for us, Charles, was a kind of a domino effect is once you have that first deal in place, the big thing for us was now is we need to perform. And so it was like regular communications with our investors, good newsletters. And then when that quarterly dividend was scheduled to happen, we hit it, right? And we hit the minimum or exceeded it. And that allowed us then as we got to our second and third deals, a lot of those people from the first deals invested in both of the second and third and also brought in people who they knew as well that were interested in it and helped us to expand our network so it was easier on those raises on deal number two and three. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's funny how that works, right? You have one investor. We, I have, we have a handful of investors like that. You know what I mean? That went to one and then they're, 
they did a second one and then like, hey, let us know if you have anything else on the third one. And it's kind of like they're testing it out. They're seeing how it works because most people, it's not just testing out you as an operator, which is one part of it, but it's also a lot of people haven't invested in syndications. And I imagine some of your passive investors uh, own some small properties that they rent out. So they understand real estate. They just probably haven't gotten into properties as large. And you know what I mean? Is that true? Exactly. Yeah. Very, very true. Yeah. And a lot of guys were like us. They're like, I would love to do this, but I just don't have time, right? Between yeah. my career and family and things like that, I don't have time to find it. So I do have the cash. So you do it for me. I got a good friend in California. He's a, a CEO of a, of a healthcare clinic, right? And and he, he texts me a recording. He goes like, this is the easiest money I've ever made. You know, keep it up, right? When's your next deal? And that's kind of like, but that's what he loves, right? Because he wants yeah. to be in real estate. He loves the tax write-offs. He loves that building the wealth long-term but he has no time to do it, right? And so he yeah. just likes to watch the bank account every three months, right? That check hits and that's that's what he wants to have, right? And it helps him build that long-term value that he's looking for outside right. of his W-2 yeah. job. Yeah, it's great. It's great. So one thing I see with new investors um, is the analysis paralysis. And it's like, how are you able to overcome this? And how do you suggest to new investors to overcome this? Because it's very, I mean, when you meet someone face-to-face -face and maybe at a conference and they're telling you about a deal and and they're like, you know, they obviously have it. And, you know, there's, it's very difficult to tell them or how to get around it. You know, uh, well, how would you suggest to someone, how did you get around it? And how do you suggest to new investors that might speak to you first? I think the biggest thing for us is, is find people who are experts or who could mentor you and, and whether you're paying for it mm -hmm. to be in a network or finding somebody who can, who's willing to give you at least guidance on it. I think that's the biggest key, right? Because if, as you, if you go on online and you go to, even a market you like, and there's a thousand listings sometimes, right? There's just tons of listings out there and brokers are hitting you. And I think for that is, is that person can help to kind of refine Charles and, and really kind of filter down into to what you need to, to focus on. I'll give you a good example. It's like when I first started this, I was like, I love Atlanta, great market. I finally talked to a guy who'd been in Atlanta for 10 years. He's like, don't even worry about it. It's mature. You're not going to get into the market, especially because you're in Boise. Here's why. Here's what to focus on instead. And that really allowed me to pivot. And that's where I started to look at Middle Tennessee, where we're invested in now, right? That was a big eye-opener for me. So I think for, for the new people to get in that, that analysis is like, A, is find somebody who can help filter down your criteria. Be willing to stick to your criteria. That's a big thing. Mm. And then focus, and then be be okay with small steps. I think a yeah. lot of folks are, are like, how do I underwrite this deal? What's going to happen when I close it? And don't even focus on that. Just, just focus on you know finding deals that fit your criteria walking through the underwriting or the financials and making sure it works and then moving on to the next step, right? I think people try to look at this like, what's, what's it going to look like in 10 years? You know, get to your one, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the first step. So you've actively invested in real estate. Uh, you're syndicating, actively investing again in real estate now as you're doing it, as you're growing your business. You have a, you know, you have a W-2 as you're doing this. I mean, how are you, you have all, how do you have all this time to do this? And I mean, how are you working with outsourcing tasks and, um, you know, freeing up time? So you're really, I imagine, spending most of your time finding deals or talking to investors. Yeah, we split up. My partner does most of the investor stuff for me. Mike, mm -hmm. That's kind of Mike's wheelhouse. So that's where he does the newsletters for us and he takes the investor questions. A lot of my outsourced tasks are, you know, the third-party management, Charles, as we do that, yeah. right? We don't manage our properties directly. Yeah. That's done by them. We just have weekly calls and check-ins that take, you know, 20 to 30 minutes. They're pretty, they're pretty fast. We have a kind of good cadence down there. And really for, for us, it just on a regular basis, just, you know, sending little notes to eat to, to brokers or how's it going? What's going on? It could be an email. It could be a phone call. And I can do that early in the morning sometimes because mm -hmm. of the time chime difference or, you know, during my lunch break, things like that. That's kind of how I do it. We don't outsource a lot of it. Other than that, uh, bookkeeping, of course, is done by professionals with the accounting, mm -hmm. but in terms of everything else, we keep it in house, but it, we, you know, it, 
my partner and I are, are pretty good about this. We've, we've got a system down that helps us out. So <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, the outsourcing of the third party management is a is a great thing to take off your Huge. plate. So you can when you're especially when you're acquiring, and you guys are definitely in that mindset of acquiring properties, not really worrying about management. Um, did you have to go through now talking about management just off off topic for a second? Did you have to go through multiple management companies when you started, you know, buying these larger properties? Or, you know, did you find one through a referral or? Yeah, the, when we, our first deal, we we kept the manager in place. Um, unfortunately, about about a year, we actually had to replace mm-hmm. that group and put bring on a new one. Uh, our third deal, uh, that management group in Clarksville, Tennessee, we've been networking with her, with her and her team for a couple of years now, looking for deals, and they're outperforming everything. Right, they're killing mm-hmm. it right now. So we're we're very very fortunate to have them on board. But it, it is tough, right? It's it's a, it's a it's a tough thing. And I'd say you know my 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 biggest lesson learned is make sure that when you vet the manager out that they have the same mindset on the properties you and their values and their systems work as well too, right? I think for us, for Mike and I, right, we're very proactive. Uh, we don't like to see the fires. We like to kind of see the smoke and take care of it right away. And some, some, in some cases, our first property manager was like, if it was a fire, he would address it. Uh, if it wasn't, he would kind of let it smolder. And for <laughs> us, that was really, really tough because yeah. it, I think for us, it caused churn with our tenants. Right. Yeah, and it also costs cost money. And so, you know, to explain to our investors, like, well, the dividend would have been X amount higher, but we didn't address something in time. And so it cost us $3,000 of missed rent payments by this tenant. We didn't evict right away, right? Those are kind of tough conversations to have. Yeah, and so I'd say, you know, make sure your value aligned on that because that's that's so important, right? It's it's not yeah. like you're wedded to them, but you're, you're working with them pretty closely. Yeah, yeah, and they're the ones on the they're the ones that are dealing with your tenants on a daily basis, and um, it's great when you say about that. Your first property manager is I was told by a property manager one time that um, they are they're talking about another property management company that kind of dealt with um, slummier properties, and it was like they know how to really control expenses. And I was like, that's a great way of saying that they just like fix stuff when it's really like like you said like the fire <laughs> happening. And I was like, what a classy way of saying that. But it's true. Like you first manager was kind of like that where you're you know you're getting stuff, but then it, you know it balloons into a huge problem. So it's really I, I'm definitely a proactive owner as well on fixing stuff. So it's we we really we see something we're like, listen, this is going to be something that's addressed. And you got to let your managers know, like, hey, let me know on this if it's something that we don't see when we're walking the properties on our, our normal visits. So, yeah, very important. I, yeah, I think for us, I agree too. I think for us too, it's been that you have to realize it's a two way street, right? I think some people go and say, you're the property manager, you work for me, you do what I say. And I look at it as like the property manager, but we are one of potentially dozens of customers, mm-hmm. right? And hundreds of properties that they're overseeing. And so it goes, it goes both ways. And so we're very transparent about here's how we work. How do you guys like to do things like for approvals, for invoices and work orders and things like that? How do you guys turn? What's that kind of stuff? And we make sure that we are super reactive and responsive to them as well so that they can do their job quickly as, as well, right? We want to be a good partner for them. We want them because that, that, and that helps Charles with us is when we do have to make those phone calls or ask for those favors, they're more willing to do that because we've been so good to them throughout the relationship. Yeah. And that's a big key for us too. It's not just a one-way street. So uh, normal questions that we ask every guest. So yeah. what are common mistakes you see real estate investors make, Bernie? Oh, gosh, I think, you know, the big one is lack of networks. I think a lot of people, they start out in it, you know, they've, <laughs> they've joined a guru's program who says, like, you can use other people's money to become rich overnight. And I think that's, that's, that's a great, it happens for some. Um, I think, you know, find a good network, a good group of people, whether you pay for it or you not, find some people that can help you kind of, you know, vet deals, vet markets and really kind of, you know, guide you along for that thing. And the other one too is, is realize that all the guys out there, guys and gals out there that are posing in front of their class A 
300 mm-hmm. units in their Lambos saying, this is how I did it. I, I made this. That's that's the rarity, right? I think you have to look at it as make sure you do this the right way. And I think most people that are successful when they build this, they do it the right way, which is you build long-term. Instead of viewing it as like, you know, what one deal can I make that'll allow me to quit my W-2 and be a real estate investor full-time? I would have said, I, I had a good analogy from a guy that was my coach. He's like, think of it as a conveyor belt, right? And you're stacking properties in this conveyor belt. And as the conveyor belt moves along, those properties start to mature. And then you might take them off the conveyor belt through a refinance or a, a, a sale, but you're still stacking stuff on the beginning of that conveyor belt, right? And over the course of time, you have a lot more properties on that belt. And that is where you start to build the wealth and the value yeah. in this, right? And think of it that way. I think a lot of folks seem to turn us like, what one deal can I invest in? That's yeah. going to allow me to pull the ripcord on my W-2. Mm-hmm. I just don't think that's, it's just not a viable option, right? It's not realistic. And so think about it that way and do that. Um, that's been a, a, a big key for us. And then over the course of time, I think too, is be willing to not do everything, mm-hmm. right? I think, and so people and say like, you know, hey, I could own 100% of this deal or I could own 10% of this deal by bringing other people and other parties. Think of it as, as, a bigger pie and you may maybe have a smaller piece, but you have a smaller piece of a lot more pies than just a big piece of one pie. And I think I see a lot of folks who are trying to do it, do it on their own initially at first. And it's going to be tough, right? I mean, you might even have $250,000, Charles. It doesn't get you very far in multifamily nowadays. No. Right. right? No. So, but $250,000 split across five or six deals potentially, right? That can get you a long way really fast. And in five years, you'd be in a much better spot. So I think, you know, think of it that way. I, I always try to think of it of, of bigger pies, but you know, more, more pies that you have a piece of. Yeah. It's also funny what you say about the one person or the one investor waiting for that one special deal. And those are people, Oh, when it goes down, when it goes down, well, I mean, you know, it's, you're going to be waiting many years, most likely. And, you know, to find that if it ever does happen. So it's just, it's kind of another paralysis. I think you'd say, you know, just uh, kind of not taking action and that's the reason. So um, yeah, a good, good example would be like, you know, when COVID happened, we had a deal in our contract that we had to back out of, right? Because our investors said like, oh, sorry, no, we're not going to do this. And that's normal, right? But a lot of people were saying like, well, COVID is going to cause multifamily to decrease by 15 to 20%. So you should wait nine to 12 months. If we had mm-hmm. waited, Charles, we would have missed out on our first two deals. And our first two deals have appreciated, <laughs> you know, at you know, 20 or 30% already, right? Since we pulled them down. And so I thought you're right, right? There's never the perfect time to get into the market, I say the perfect time is now, right? Just do it, mm-hmm. especially if you have that five to 10 year time horizon. Mm-hmm. If you buy a really good asset and a really good market, you'll make money on it in five to seven years. Yeah, I, I totally agree. It's very difficult if following those rules to lose money. I, I agree totally, totally with that. Totally. What do you think are the main factors that have uh, contributed to your success over the years, Bernie, whether it's professionally prior to real estate or during your real estate career? I think the biggest one is people surround yourself with really smart people. I, I like to smart, surround myself with people who are smarter than me, right? If I'm the dumbest guy in the room, then I know I'm in the right room. That's kind of, <laughs> right? That's a big one for me, Charles, right? I mean, I, I want to be pushed. You want you want people who are who are successful, who've done this before, who can train you. And you want to feel like you're alone. I, I like to feel insecure. Like, ooh, am I really in the right setting? That's that's a good feeling for me. I think the other one too is just is be willing to put in the work, right? This is not easy. And this is not an overnight success. But be willing to say like, you know, hey, even though I'm, doing really good on my W-2. I've got a family and kids. I need to spend time. Set aside some time though to, to make yourself better, right? To learn. And that's like reading articles, reading books, listening to podcasts, you know, calling people who are successful and finding out what they do, right? How they get there. Those are the things that start to, you know, add a little more tools into your belt that over the course of time will make you more successful. That's been a big key for me. Yeah. The education uh, never ends. So um, 
Bernie, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? Yeah, thanks. They can check out our website. It's elementalequityllc.com, or they can just send me an email at bernie at elementalequityllc.com. Happy to answer any questions you have. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, Bernie. Looking forward to connecting you uh, with you here sometime in the near future and have a great rest of your day. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Hi, guys. It's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.